four thirty nine through forty five. Follow along as I read. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go and pray. Lord, we ask that you would bless the study of your word, the hearing of your word this morning. You have promised to use your word to bring life to dead hearts, to bring refreshment to dry hearts. And all of us, to some degree, stand as thirsty this morning. Some in this room have never tasted the life that you offer. And many in this room have been walking with you and have been nourished by you and refreshed by you over and over. And we just pray that you would continue to do that work. That you would use your word to refresh and bring life to us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Children, you can be dismissed for Children's Church. Well, our series so far, let's let's get us back into context. So we've been studying chapters 3 and 4 of the Gospel of John. In chapters 3, or chapter 3, we really looked at uh, how does one come to enter the kingdom? How does one come to enter the life that Jesus offers? And the answer we got in chapter 3 with that dialogue with Nicodemus was you must be born from above. You must be born again, Jesus said. And we talked about how that, that new birth is really a new disposition, a new heart attitude towards God, a new inner workings that allows us to see Jesus for who he truly is and receive him by faith and follow him as our King and Lord. New birth is necessary. We need this new spiritual life. And then in chapter 4, as we entered into that dialogue with the Samaritan woman, we really saw that Jesus' kingdom mission is a global mission. It's, it's to all who would receive the life Jesus offers, including a Samaritan, including a woman, including everyone. No matter your walk of life, no matter your, your background, no matter your status, No matter your ethnicity, nothing stands in the way of you receiving the life Jesus offers. If you would come to him by faith, you can have life. And so while we trust that and we confess that this life that we need to be in the kingdom is something that is granted from above, it's also something that is presented to us to be responded to. We have this opportunity to respond to this offer of life Jesus gives. In chapter 4, Jesus has living water to offer who would ever co- whoever would come to him to drink. But the disciples, as we saw, didn't quite get it. 
They didn't understand this living water Jesus was talking about, this illustration he was using. And so Jesus helps, helped them last week uh, understand his mindset and adopt it as well. Jesus is on a mission, and he used this image of a harvest. Jesus looked out at the world in front of him, at the Samaritans in front of him, and he saw a harvest ready and ripe to be plucked. The harvest is ready. And Jesus wanted his disciples and he wanted us to see that, that he's on this mission that the Father has given him. And if we can just get our eyes off of our little thing that's going on and onto Jesus' mission, we would see that we have a part to play in this harvest, that there are souls in front of us ready to receive the gospel and have life. Well, today, Jesus' words prove true. The harvest is ready. The harvest is ripe. The mission Jesus, or the Father sent Jesus to accomplish is already being fulfilled. Many souls will believe in Jesus' words. Yet our, our passage this morning hints at another reality to this harvest. And that is that while the harvest is in all of the world, the offer of life is for all people, not all will receive it. Not all of the wheat in the field, so to speak, is ready to be harvested. There is chaff. There is wheat that is not ready yet. And some will not receive the message that Jesus presents and calls us as his disciples to communicate as well. Our, our text this morning, as you can tell in our brief reading of it right here, it, it really is a transitional text. I mean, you might have read it the first time and gone, okay, what's there? What's there for us this morning? It really is a transition between Jesus' teaching and engagement in Samaria to Jesus' teaching and engagement in Galilee. The, the next wave of the Gospel of John is to the Jews. Jesus has teaching to give them. Uh, he has engagement to do there. And this passage serves as kind of the transition point. But it, in this transition, this narrative movement here, we see really two illustrations put in front of us. We'll see in the Samaritans' welcome of Jesus a welcome of faith a welcome of real reception of Jesus for who he is. And we'll see in the Galilean reception a welcome really that is characterized by fascination. We'll see that there are two responses, two welcomes given to Jesus, and they map onto our daily life really clearly. In John 1, 11 through 12, go ahead and turn it there. This is really, this sermon today I think is bringing illustration to these two verses. John 1, 11. Jesus came to his own, that is the, the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There are two responses to Jesus. There are those who receive him and believe and have life. And there are those 
who, for whatever reason, have a fascination with him, but ultimately do not receive him, do not believe in him, and do not find life. And this, these two transitional paragraphs here for us really give us two, I think, vivid illustrations of this reality. And so we're going to apply it at the end to all sorts, a few, a few key areas in our life. Uh, how do we think about evangelism? How do we think about our parenting? How do we think about our own response to Jesus? And our, our responses to Jesus really map onto one or the other of these paragraphs. And so our task here, I think, is to study a little bit each of these responses. First, the Samaritan welcome, then the Galilean welcome, and then we'll think through our own welcome of Jesus. What sort of welcome does Jesus have in your life? Why are you interested in Jesus? Why are you here? And I think that question might feel like it's merely to those in the room who are undecided, who are not yet confessing Christians. But it's a powerful one for us who are confessing Christians. Why are you a Christian? Why are you interested in this man, Jesus? Which paragraph reflects your life? Let's start by looking at the Samaritan welcome in verses 39 through 42. And really, in in both of these welcomes, in order to simplify it here, I've broken them down into really two questions or two aspects. First, what is the reason for their welcome? And then what is the result? Why do they welcome Jesus? And what happens as a result? We'll do that for both of these welcomes, and I think it's helpful to map what is really happening in this narrative sequence here. So first, let's, let's look at the Samaritan welcome, and let's begin with the question in verses 39 through 40. Why do the Samaritans welcome Jesus? The reason for their welcome. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The, the Samaritan woman here really functions... Uh, as a living, almost rebuke for the disciples. If you think about the sermon, the passage last week, the disciples were called by Jesus to open their eyes to see the harvest in front of them, to get on the work of being proclaimers of Jesus. And this Samaritan woman comes directly on the scene and has her own harvest. She has done the work of going back and proclaiming. And here we say, see, many Samaritans from that town believed. That's no small word in the Gospel of John. They believed because of her testimony. So these Samaritans are understanding who Jesus is and placing their faith in him on the basis of the woman's testimony saying, This man knew everything I've done. This man is different. He is the Christ. The Samaritan woman functions as a harvester, and she brings in a large harvest. But I think the really key part of this welcome here is what happens next. What happens next? What is the result of this initial welcome? Well, first, they move in verse 41 from a second-hand to a first-hand experience. Look at it. Or I should say in verse 40, they ask Jesus to stay, 
for two more days. And then they get this experience. And many more believed because of his word. So these people heard from the woman, believed, said, Jesus, stay with us, teach us, continue to show us, and many more believed. Many more believed. They moved from a first-hand to, uh, or from a second-hand to a first-hand reception of Jesus. And they come to this great confession. And I think it's important to remember that these are Samaritans. What do they say? What's the result of their welcome? It is no longer because of what you said that we believe to the woman. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now that is one of the most explicit confessions anywhere in the Gospels. Who is Jesus? Out of the lips of Samaritans, he is the Savior of the world. These people come, they hear the woman's testimony, they invite Jesus to speak to them more, and they move from hearing to belief to witness. This is the Savior of the world. Now think about that confession. What is, what is being confessed there by these Samaritans? By saying the Savior, it means these people didn't just see, uh, you know, they didn't just see a nice teacher. They didn't just see somebody who was out there doing a great work. They saw personal need. Nobody looks to a Savior in belief unless they recognize they need saving. These Samaritans had come to a recognition that they need what Jesus is offering. And they, they serve as an illustration for us of what it means to receive the life Jesus is offering. We need salvation. We don't just need nice teaching. We don't just need a nice moral leader. We don't need a political activist. We need a Savior. And so these Samaritans come to this foundational reality. They need a Savior. And the man they have just been introduced to is him. Look at the second half of that confession. Not only is he a savior, he's the savior of the world. Now this maps on to what we've learned already about this global mission of Jesus. It's not just to the Jews. These Samaritans recognize, you're, you're really offering this to us. You, a Jew, offer us living water. You, a Jew, offer us the salvation that we need. You are the savior of the world. You are the savior of those who are lost in darkness. You are the savior of those stuck in sin. You are the savior of the world. So you have this reason for their welcome. This woman says he is amazing. And they hear his own words and they move from word to belief to witness. What does it mean to receive Jesus? Those who received him, who believed in their name. Receiving Jesus moves from hearing to believing. Hearing to believing. And these Samaritans exemplify that for us. They move from hearing to believing, and their belief is testified to by their words. Do you receive Jesus this way? Do you hear his words? and respond to him as the Savior you need? 
Do you feel your need for a Savior? And do you go to him in faith as one who believes? This is the fundamental of gospel faith, of real saving faith, coming to Jesus as your Savior. There's a, I, I want to emphasize a side point here. Uh, it, it could be tempting here to say, um, because they moved from the woman's testimony to his testimony, to Jesus' testimony, that we would read in this um, and discredit the witness of others. And I just want to mention this briefly. The main point is, how are you receiving Jesus? Secondary point here. What value is there in another person's witness? You could ask a personal question. Is your belief in Jesus merely based on someone else's word? Think about that. Certainly this passage does not condemn a faith that's based on somebody else's word. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. So I'm thinking of you uh, youth in the room who are at this point living under essentially a view of life that is being received from the community around you. You have all sorts of witnesses in your life saying, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the Savior. And many of you have believed it. Have believed it. And I think that there's nothing to discredit about that. The fact that you see Jesus matters so much to the people you know in your life matters. Jesus testifies to us through the people in our life. But I want to go further here. And I want to say that Jesus intends for us to be personal with him. Jesus wants us to invite him to actually teach us, to commune with us, to, to speak to us. I, I'm thinking of 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul says, And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, Paul says something, they receive it, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What happens when somebody shares their faith with you? What happens when you share your faith with somebody else, when you speak the word of God to another person? Is it just merely a second-hand expression? I don't think so. I think we're meant to come in contact with Jesus. Paul says what it really is, the word of God. When we speak scripture to one another, God speaks into our lives. So students, don't think of your faith as something that's just being given to you. Are you engaging with Jesus in his word? Are you moving past the first witness of your family and friends and engaging in that witness with the real Jesus? And that goes for all of us in this room. Do we, are we settled with just like this far-off expression that, yep, Jesus is this, he's a savior, or do we actually want to see him and know him in his word? Jesus wants to come near 
and teach us and have our belief based on our actual engagement with him. Not to the discredit of other people and the way we play in this, our witness has a role in that, but to say Jesus is actually engaging. Do we see him engaging with us? Okay, back to the main point. The Samaritan welcome shows that the, po- the positive side of the harvest here. There are those who are going to hear, believe, and have their lives transformed because of it, because they see the Savior of the world. There are those who receive him who believe in his name. We're going to move now to seeing the other side of this harvest. This harvest, harvest has challenges. Some of the wheat is not ripe for harvest. Some hearts have not been supernaturally born again. Some hearts are hard to Jesus. The welcome of Jesus is a mixed welcome. There are those who believe and those who do not. And this is what we see illustrated for us in this welcome of the Galileans. So let's Let's move on to verses 43 through 45. 43 through 45. After the two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So Jesus moves to Galilee. He's got a new ministry he needs to continue here. He, ha- he has to get back to his home area, and he has to teach these Jews, and there's a reason for that down the road. There's going to be chapters upon chapters of him engaging with these Jews. But this welcome that the Galileans give him is our, is our topic here this morning. What is this other side of the harvest? How do we understand it? How do we think through the nature of unbelief? The Galileans prove to have a welcome based on fascination. Let's look at it. First, let's look at, kind of in backwards order here, let's look at the reason for their welcome in verse 45. Here's the reason. They saw a sign. Now, we talked about in the beginning of this series how the signs Jesus performs, uh, the miracles he does, are not just to show that he's powerful. They're not just to say, look at this guy, he's unique. They are to do that, but they actually are identifying him. This is no mere man. This is the Messiah. This is the identity we've been long waiting for, the one who will come. The signs, the physical things that he did were meant to show his identity. And so it's, it's not wrong here for these Galileans to receive Jesus based on what they saw. The signs were meant to lead to an interest in the man. So the reason here really isn't the problem. That they would see a sign that Jesus performs, in this case, that they somehow saw Jesus turning the water into wine, which, as a side note, is curious. The, 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 um, the guy overseeing the feast didn't know what Jesus did. The servants knew what Jesus did. The disciples knew what Jesus did. So I'm, I'm assuming here that by saying that he saw what he did at the feast, that most of these people are operating on the witness of another. They're actually kind of in the same boat here. 
as the Samaritans. They're, they're hearing a testimony. They're seeing a, an external manifestation, maybe in person, but also maybe they're hearing a person speak of what Jesus has done. Either way, they're, they're, seeing, they're seeing a sign. They're seeing the power of Jesus displayed, whether that's given through somebody's testimony or through their own seeing it. They're seeing something. And that, as we saw, the sign is meant to lead to belief. What happens here from this point on? The problem is not that the Galileans reason for welcoming Jesus is off. The problem is where that welcome leads. And so this is where we need to camp. The result. And you may ask, well, where is the result of their welcome here? Well, admittedly, it's not explicitly stated. But look at verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Why is that statement there? The word for tells us that it's describing a reason for why 43 happened. After the two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. Why is Jesus going to Galilee? According to this statement, it's because he has no honor there. I think this is a, excuse my English phrase, dramatic irony. This statement is put here to say these people are going to welcome him, but not really. The statement is put here to show us that this little snippet of a welcome we see here in these three verses may have the signs of receiving Jesus, and yet it will not conclude that way. What we see in the next few chapters illustrates that. Their reception is tainted. Chapter 6, it starts off really good. They want to make him their king. So Jesus runs away from them, avoids them. Fast forward to chapter 7. A warrant is out for Jesus' arrest. Well, that's pretty. Uh, that's a dramatic transition. Chapter 8. The Jewish crowds themselves pick up stones to put Jesus to death. That is where Jesus' welcome in Galilee takes him. Why such a dramatic turn of events? Why would they go from seeing this sign or hearing of this sign, receiving Jesus amongst them, listening to him, to all of a sudden having such a dramatic rejection of him. Why don't they receive him long term? The answer put forward in the next several chapters is what Jesus says. You see, unlike the Samaritans who receive Jesus because of the witness, hear his words and believe, these Galileans will receive him hear his words, and reject. Jesus' words stand at the center of life or death. The fascination with the power of Jesus and his signs was turned into a fearsome disdain for his words. They didn't like who he claimed to be. They wanted the signs of power but not the truth in the man. They wanted him to heal, 
and give dramatic signs and do crazy things that allow them. But they didn't want to follow that sign to its logical end, to a reception of Jesus as their Messiah, their King, their Savior. So we have here two ways of welcoming Jesus. One way ends in life. One way ends in death. Why is Jesus getting a hearing in your life? Why is he getting a hearing in your life? Why do you receive him? Why are you here? Why do you open his word? I fear that many of us, and not just the non-Christians in the room, but even some of us Christians at times, begin to receive Jesus because we like what he does. Let me press into that a little bit. I, I really appreciate um, biblical counseling. People who take the time to think carefully about how the Bible applies to our life and our heart and help us grow and have better patterns of living so that God is honored and people are loved and, you know, sin is dealt with. Um, sometimes I fear that we want Jesus because he can help us have a better marriage. Is that a bad thing? No, that's a great thing. We want Jesus' power all over our marriages. But where does it go from there? Sometimes I fear that we want Jesus because we want to have wisdom in how to parent our children. We see maybe the way that a lot of people in the world parent their children, and we say, we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be that angry. We don't want to be, uh, you know, abusive. We don't want to be, uh, we don't want our kids to be out of control. We want wisdom. We want to have a healthy home. So we run to Jesus, and that's right and good. But is that where it ends? Sometimes we want healing. Maybe not for us. Maybe it's for a friend or a family member. And so we run to Jesus, which is right and good. But where does it end? Where does it go? It, I think we fall into the Galilean paradigm. We can go to Jesus, or I should say receive Jesus, for what he does, for his signs, for his power, for his display of otherworldly ability. And yet... Reject him. Deny his words. Reject his authority. And ultimately reject the life he has to offer. The call of this passage is to think carefully about why you receive Jesus. It's not just a problem for the uncommitted in the room. It's a problem for all of us. Jesus stands in front of us presenting himself as the life. Not just the one who gives life. The life. John 17 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The, the end goal of Jesus' ministry, the purpose he came, was to bring us back into life with God. To bring us back into fellowship, to bring us back into 
relationship, to bring us back into, as we saw in John 4, worship, true worship. Jesus came to bring life in its fullness, which is a life with God, in worship of God, in submission to God, in love of God as our Savior, as our Lord. Do we turn to Jesus because we want the life he gives and not the life he is? I want to be positive in the midst of this maybe challenging call and say that John even sets it up as it is genuinely possible and true that many of you are receiving him rightly. It's not a place to pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, look at how great of a church we are. We are so good at believing in Jesus. It's a reality of saying, wow, look at the way God has saved Many, many of you are experiencing in a daily, growing way what it means to walk with Jesus. And we should rejoice. It's a life from above. It's a life given to us. Not a life we deserve, not a life we've earned, not a life we've put together ourselves. It's a life from above. And we should see this illustration even in the Samaritans and say, that's me. Like, that, that's me. I love it. I love that Jesus is working in my life that way, that by the Spirit I have this faith to receive him and to believe and to testify that he is the Savior I need and the world needs. So I don't, I don't mean to stand here and say all of you in the room should find yourself in Galilean reception. Um, I, I trust that most of you fall in that first category and can have reason to rejoice, to have confidence that Jesus has changed you and will continue to give you the life that he offers. But I do want to call out to you if you haven't come to that place. I know that I, I am continually meeting new people each week, uh, and that's a fun thing. I love that. I know all of us love that. But it continues to show to us that many of you, maybe you've been here for a long time, maybe you're new, have yet to really do this. You hear Jesus' offer of life and you walk away saying, uh, yes, but what does that have to do with my job or my parenting or my um, addiction to this thing or that thing? And you don't go where Jesus wants to take you. You don't listen to his teaching and find his life. You take what you can and reject him. Turn to him in real faith. Turn to him in a way that receives him as the center, as the one worthy of all of your affection, the one worthy of your life, and find life. Turn to him as your savior. Parents, let's, let's think about parents for a bit. We've already talked a bit about parenting. I want to think about it this way. Um, Which reception do your kids see in you? What reception of Jesus do your kids see in you? Do Do they see you showing up on Sunday mornings, participating in small group, living the life of a Christian, when Jesus is beneficial and helping you be what you want to be? Or do they see you 
running to a Savior day by day and having his life transform you from the inside out? Do they see that humility? Do they see that singular focus? Do they see Jesus in your life? Or do they just see a nice way of living? That's challenging. It's challenging. Jesus stands as the Savior of the world. There's only two responses to him. One of belief leading to life. One of fascination, maybe, but ultimately rejection leading to death. The, the world is filled with fascination still. 2,000 years later, fascination with Jesus Christ. You go to the, the magazine racks, you know, in the grocery store, and they'll still have magazines with Jesus, a picture of Jesus plastered on the front saying, Jesus, who was he? They're fascinated by this man. Fascination does not save. Turning to Jesus in need of a Savior for the life he gives saves. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the clarity of your word. That you would even in this transitional sort of passage highlight to us a fundamental reality of our life. We pray that by your spirit you would bring us to see maybe how this response is healthy and good and true. But I pray that you would also, insofar as there's places where we are falling into a fascination with signs and not with who you really are, I pray that you would show us, that you would reveal to us that, even if we've been walking with you in, in true life for years and years, that you would continue to shape us to see you at the center, to see knowing you as the life we need, to see you as our Savior, and not just a sign worker. I pray these things in your name. Amen.